1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. She's Riley Gaines. She is a young woman. She is a championship swimmer, as I have it here, 12-time All-American swimmer. University of Kentucky, but national champion swimmer. And she has competed in races where, or at least one championship race, where a man who claims he is a woman uh, won the race. It wasn't even fair for many, many reasons. We're going to talk about that uh, in a moment. She's at the Leadership Institute where there is the Riley Gaines Center. We'll talk about that momentarily. But first, I want people to understand your background, and I want to understand it myself because I, I like to figure out what produces people like you? And by the way, there may not be an answer. Uh, I have made peace with that. N- not everybody who fights and is courageous knows why they are courageous. They, they just can't not be. So uh, we'll find out. But first, give us a little background. When did the issue of men saying they're women and competing against women come into your life?
2: Of course, I had heard about it. I'd heard about you know a, a trans identified individual. Um, the first time I ever saw this, actually, especially in sports, it was happening the other way around. Um, there was a swimmer from Harvard who uh, named Skyler, who competed with the women. Um, of course, was a woman, and decided they wanted to identify as a man and compete with the men. When I heard about this, of course, I, I knew I didn't necessarily support it, and I knew um, it was, um, in my perspective as a Christian, I, know, I knew it was a sin, um, but I didn't see the big deal at the time because there was no really threat. Uh, this was a woman who wanted to compete with the men. Uh, we all knew that this meant that this person would be, would be going down in the rankings, um, which is exactly what happened. Um, And so I I didn't really put much thought to it, and I never once thought it would happen the other way around, because I I thought there would be guidelines in place that would prevent that from happening. Um, But then came Leah Thomas. Uh, I first found out about Leah Thomas about midway through my senior year at University of Kentucky. Um, I had made it my goal to win a national title, which would, of course, mean becoming the fastest female in the country in my respective event. Um, That That goal really came after my junior year. I ended up placing seventh in the country. Um, And so I knew I was capable of more. And I was right on pace to achieve my goal of becoming a national champion about midway through my senior year. um, I was ranked third in the nation behind uh, a girl in second who I knew very well because, like in most sports, your top tier athletes know of each other. Um, And so this girl who was in second, who I was trailing by maybe a few one hundredths or tenths of a second, I knew very well. But the person, was ranked first in the country by body lengths? I'd never heard of before, and this is the first time I became aware of a swimmer named Leah Thomas. And so there was a lot of red flags, right? This was a senior. Uh-
1: Hi everyone! If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening
0: who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listener's questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth.
1: Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400.
0: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
2: From University of Pennsylvania, which is not a school that historically produces fast swimmers, um, they were leading the country, as I said, by body rings. They were ranked first in the 100 freestyle, which is a sprint, and all of the freestyle events in between until the mile which is long distance. And so if you think about this, um, for those of you who don't understand swimming, if you think about this in terms of your Olympic runners, that's like saying your best 200-meter runner is your best marathon runner. Um, They're totally different systems, but that's what we were seeing in this person. And so, again, I, I had no idea at the time this was a male until an article came out disclosing that Leah Thomas was formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to switch to the women's team. And so when I heard this, of course I was shocked. Um, we all were. You know, my parents, my family, my coaches, my my teammates, my competitors. We were all shocked. But really it was kind of a sense of relief because I then went to, I went to look up who Will Thomas was because admittedly I was intrigued. I was curious, you know, is this someone who who went from ranking among the best men to now continuing to lead the nation against the women, which is, of course, not what we saw. Um, We saw this was a mediocre male swimmer at best, ranking 462nd in the nation the year prior when competing against the men. But that's ultimately why I say I felt a sense of relief, is because I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it. And again, my family, my teammates, my coaches, how anyone... With any amount of brain activity Would probably comprehend this I thought that's how the NCAA would And again, nothing hateful about it Nothing opinionated, strictly what was on the paper In front of us That this was a male who went from 462nd To now dominating The women by body lengths But the NCAA did not see it that way They saw absolutely Nothing wrong with it And they came out in the, the weeks leading up To that national championships Which keep in mind is the fastest meet in the world it's the meet you work all year for, really all your life for. Um, in the weeks leading up to the meet, the NCAA announced that Thomas's participation in the women's category was a non-negotiable. Uh, that was the words they used. And so that was really the first time I became aware of this scenario. This was about November of
1: 2021. When you first competed against Leah Thomas or Will Thomas, you said this was new to me. If I understood you correctly, you did not know that this was a trans person.
2: I knew when we were competing, um, but when this name came up, we hadn't directly competed against each other before. I'd never seen photos of this person. I had, I had. It was just a new name. Which, like I said, that that doesn't happen in, in it, really any elite sport. Because we know each other, we've grown up competing against each other. Swimming isn't one of those sports you can just come out of nowhere. Okay, so here. so
1: okay, let me let me let me uh, show, explain where I'm directing this. Pure, on pure curiosity grounds, when you finally saw this individual, did it strike you as a woman or a man, or oh. you it wasn't clear?
2: No, by the time I saw this individual, I was certain it was a man. Um, uh-huh. to be that's totally what I thought when I've, seen, when, yeah. Yeah,
1: when I've seen the pictures that's what I assumed
2: yeah he's now, 6 foot 4 um, not to mention obvious differences in a women's swimsuit that women don't have uh, Adam's apple Not to, the feet on the, the block they took up the whole entire block I mean it was very obvious it was a man once we saw pictures and in real life of course who this individual was
1: Was there a point then or later where you thought it's just wrong for me to even compete? Maybe if I could persuade some of my fellow females not to compete, we might prevail. What is your take on that?
2: Um, I, I talked to my teammates. We took it amongst ourselves to kind of really whisper, right, we whispered, we were walking on eggshells talking about this, and we all felt the same way, Um, it was kind of just this battle of, do we want to kind of throw away everything we had worked our entire lives for, you know, this was my my last meet ever in my 18 years of my career, I was capping it off, and so it was a, a really hard thought process to kind of go through, especially given the fact that at least I feel like it happened pretty quickly. Um, I didn't know of many other stories at the time. And now looking back, I, I of course, believe everything happened for a reason. And I think the way that Thomas and I tied and all the different factors were were pretty crucial to the story. Um, But now, as I continue to see more girls be exploited in locker rooms and lose out on opportunities and injured in their sports, it's going to take a boycott. And I know it's easier said than done. But but it would just take one time to send the message that we have had enough. But instead, what we're seeing, we're seeing women stand on the podium and smile and applaud at their own demolition, their own destruction. And we're expecting someone else to jump in and save us. But we're not even willing to save ourselves. Um, and again, it took me some self-realization to get to that point. And so that's why I say I know it's easier said than done. Um, but but that's truly what needs to happen to make effective and immediate change.
1: Yeah, I, I said that at the time. Uh, there is no, really, nothing else would work. Like not having the women compete—that ends the sport—and have this fraud. And Leah Thomas is a fraud. Uh, have them swim alone. Uh, it it would end it. It would, as you say, overnight. So I'm curious, do you go, are you even allowed to go to colleges and make this appeal to women in women's sports?
2: Yeah, I certainly have, and I certainly continue to. Um, it's a big piece, I think, in the fight moving forward, especially coming from a college campus, um, seeing how the freedom of speech is entirely under threat. And um, A big part of what I do now is going back on college campuses sharing the story and hoping to motivate and inspire other young people, people in my generation, um, to take a stand against this, really not even against anything, to take a stand for the truth and take a stand for women and for fairness. This argument, it really isn't anti-anything. It's pro-fairness, and and again, it's pro-reality. It's pro-sanity. It's pro-common sense. It's pro-good faith. Uh, We live in a godless society now, and and that's rampant on college campuses. Again, I know because I just came from one. Um, I see how essentially conservatives were deemed as criminals, um, which is a pretty pretty chilling thought.
1: Yeah, believe me, I'm well aware of it. (laughs) I get it every day. So you are now... What happens when you're invited to a campus? Is there massive protest? What, what happens? Give me an example.
2: It's probably exactly how you would picture. Um, of course, there are people there in support. Of course, there are. But um, the protesters are present. Uh, they are loud. They're obnoxious. They are obscene. They are violent. They're vengeful. They're hateful. Yet they do it in the name of love and inclusion and tolerance, and acceptance, and welcoming, and all of those different things. But again, the, I, I've never seen that from these protesters. They're not willing to have open dialogue. They're not willing to come with an open mind. They come with a closed mind, and I'm naive to think that they're, I, I have the opportunity to change their minds. Uh, majority of the time, these protesters are unwilling to listen, uh, unwilling to ask questions. It's more so just name-calling. Uh, last week, I was at West Virginia University where it's the same story. Um, Of course, last year I went to San Francisco State University, where I was met with ambush. I mean, I was assaulted. I was held for ransom for over four hours, around four hours, where these protesters locked me and the police officers into a room and demanded that if we wanted to make it out and see our family safely again, we had to pay them money. Um, I missed my flight home the The police officers did nothing because they told me they were scared to be seen as anything other than an ally to this community. I mean, it was very clearly the prisoners were running the asylum
1: why didn't I know about that story?
2: <laughs> it got national attention um I, and to walk you through it a little more, of course, I was there on San Francisco State University's campus to share my experience, you know. Growing up an athlete, what it what it takes, the silencing, the locker room, the unfair competition, all the different pieces of it. Um, after the event had concluded, the protesters uh, rushed into the room. To which I was told by the officers that the doors would be locked. Actually, I was supposed to meet the officers an hour and a half before the event. The officers never showed up to our meeting. Um, but the protesters, they rushed into the room. They turned off the lights and they rushed me at the front of the room, and I was punched, I was hit, um, I was assaulted. Um, that's when an officer kind of whisked me away into, we couldn't make it out of the building because there were so many protesters, hundreds of them. Uh, that's when they pushed me into another classroom building, along or classroom, along that same hallway, where that's where I, I was my prison for four hours. Um, again, these protesters were yelling the most awful things you could imagine. All the while, the police did nothing. Um, The university, the next day, they sent an email out to their student body. And then this email sent out by Vice President of Student Affairs, Dr. Jamila Moore. She said, I'm so proud of our brave students. I applaud them for handling Riley Gaines, someone so personally adherent as Riley Gaines in the manner that they did. We know how deeply traumatic Someone who spreads so much violence, like herself, can be on campus. And so, here are some resources. You know, just know we see you, we hear you, we love you. Um, they applauded the students for kidnapping me, um, for punching me, um, and there has what been is, no What is the before.
1: name of this dean? Uh,
2: Dr. What? Jamila Moore.
1: And what is her title?
2: Vice president of student affairs.
1: I asked you, "How is it I didn't know that story?" which was a silly question to ask you, <laughs> Cause that's my fault. But I thought you might say, in vindication of my question, I thought you might say it was not widely covered, but you said it was, so uh, and I'm glad that it was. It was just I, I missed it for whatever reason. I'd like to analyze a part, though, that's very disturbing. And that is, were these this was the were these members of the San Francisco Police Department who who did so little to help you?
2: It was the campus police initially, but then the city of San Francisco, city of San Francisco Police Department, got involved. Um, to which, of course, I respect all in law, all law enforcement, um, but I was utterly unimpressed with how they handled the situation.
1: And that. Can you offer an explanation as to why they didn't protect the victim from the victimizers? I mean, I can offer one, that in San Francisco, uh, even the police have been compromised by wokeism.
2: Certainly. Certainly. And it didn't make sense to me because in the hours that I was locked in this room, um, the protesters on the outside were screaming to both myself and the officers. They were calling the officers racist pigs. Um, they were saying to the officers, you know, you're only protecting that girl because she's white. Um, if, if she were one of us, you wouldn't be protecting her, blah, blah, blah. And these officers, they were terrified of being seen as oppressors. They were terrified of that label and what that could possibly mean for them in their career to protect a white girl. Oh my goodness. That, that, that notion scared them to death. To
1: what yeah, but let me, un- wait. Yeah. Forgive me. I just want to understand something though. Were, were most of the protesters uh, and kidnappers black?
2: No, I mean, there, there was hundreds of them, to be honest. I didn't get to, to look them uh, directly in the eye for a large amount of time, plus with how they entered into the room and they turned the lights off and flickered the lights, it was pretty disorienting. Um, I can tell you that the ones I saw, it was utterly confusing because you had men dressed as women and women dressed as men and everything in between. Uh, So it was a pretty disorienting is really the best word scenario. I I was just confused. It all happened. Um... Very quickly, uh, there were, of course, some African Americans who were there. Even the white people were calling the officers. Because uh, I, I don't,
1: the reason I asked, I don't know this as a, as a black issue, the issue of having men uh, compete against women in women's sports. So uh, it, it, it was somewhat surprising to me to hear that they focused on your being white. Uh, I, it is inconceivable to me that the average black female athlete. Is any happier about competing against men than you are?
2: Exactly, Um, but I get called it all the time. I get called, of course, transphobic, homophobic, racist, white supremacist, all for saying that men or sorry that women deserve privacy, that we deserve equal opportunity. They equate that to a white supremacist, (laughs) which honestly you can't do anything but laugh, and it, it totally undermines. Someone who, that that verbiage of white supremacist, what that really is. If you're going to call me a white supremacist for advocating for what I'm advocating for, then that that word has kind of lost its meaning.
1: Were you in a locker room with Leah Thomas?
2: Yes. Um, We were not forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. The only time we became aware that we would be undressing next to a six foot four, 22 year old man who's fully intact with and exposing male genitalia was when we were inches away from a six foot four undressed man uh-huh. um, who was naked and exposing male genitalia, where we were simultaneously undressing.
1: Well, as I've said so often, if a man exposes himself to women, he's arrested. But if a man who says he's a woman exposes himself to women and they object, they're arrested. We're living in an increasingly sick country because of the left. Then people like you uh, give a lot of people hope. I I, want to ask you many more questions, including what makes you tick and lessons you've learned, because these are the big issues I care about. Tell everybody where they should go to become aware of your center.
2: Absolutely. It's www.rallygaincenter.org. That's where you can find uh, information, sign up for newsletters, so you're informed on the topic and you know what's going on.
1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy.